those videos of hearing people tell their story. I, yeah, I love hearing people tell their story. We just got done with a three-week uh, new members class, and we had 12 people in our new members class, and, and I got to hear all 12 of them tell their story this morning. And I got to walk in here and hear their uh, the two stories of Mark and Joy, and I love hearing people's story. Don't you love hearing people's story? And I just want to thank you as a church. You guys did an awesome job this week. We, uh, we hosted the National Fellowship Meeting, and I just want to say thank you. All, I've had so many uh, emails and texts and phone calls and, and people just appreciating you as a church and how you serve them and, and how you served well with generosity and just a smile on your face, Right? And I want to say thank you. And one of those guests that we had this, this week from our national meeting is Lance Gocher. Lance, would you come on up here? Lance is a good friend of mine. Uh, we went to Bible college together, and uh, Lance has been serving in the Philippines, I believe, close to 20 years or over that, right around there. And uh, God has used his ministry in an amazing way in the Philippines. I got to spend some time with him over in Manila in 2014. And uh, so I just asked him to come up and share a few minutes this, this morning about what God is doing in his ministry. Would you give Lance a hand this morning? Thank you, Lance. Thank you, Pastor John. Well, good morning, morning, Hallmark. It's so great to be with you guys today. And I uh, just want to say thank you uh, right off the bat. Thank you so much for your heart for missions. Uh, thank you for your uh, support of so many missionaries around the world. Uh, I walked into Sunday school today and uh, somebody met me and they said, hey, I pray for you. And I want you to know that your prayers are making a difference around the world. Uh, God's been doing some amazing things in the Philippines, and our ministry now, we have 25 locations that we meet in every weekend. Uh, we have about 5,000 people that are meeting every weekend with us in those locations, and it's just been a true uh, joy to see God just open up door after door after door in the last few years. So we've got those 25 locations, but we've also opened up a new location in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we have a church there. Uh, one of the gentlemen from our church that was an overseas worker there, um, he had been in our Bible college online, uh, online classes, and he uh, came back to us. His pastor had been deported from Saudi Arabia, and he said, can uh, we speed this up? I don't really, I'm not trying to be bossy or anything, but we don't have a pastor at our church, and could I be ordained? And so we commissioned him. And so we now have a church location there as well. You know, it's been a blessing for me to be able to work with Manna since about 2002. Uh, I think we had the third feeding center in the world at our church there in Masinog. And now I get to serve as the Asia director uh, for Manna. And uh, just to see what God is doing all over Asia. And, and right there in the Philippines, we now have 13 feeding centers. We're feeding over 1,300 kids uh, every week. And uh, we've been the recipient of so many blessings through MANA over the years. Uh, I talked to Bruce O'Neill last year, and I said, you know, what if we did something from our church in the Philippines? We have missionaries, Filipino missionaries, all over Asia, and we have a missionary in Bangladesh. It, it's a Muslim country. It's very difficult to minister there, and they live in a very poor area, and they need some help. And so as we raise funds here in America, I just said, what if we raise some funds there in the Philippines? And so now our church not only supports one feeding center in Bangladesh, we now have two feeding centers in Bangladesh. Amen. That Sunday school ministry, I got to be there with Brent Longenecker uh, on the very first day that they taught the first lesson of creation uh, to these new manna kids that came into their church. Um, man is making a difference all over the world, amen. And, and in places that are difficult to reach into, 
um, but we're making inroads in there, and uh, God is just doing some amazing things. I just want to give you some highlights of our church really quickly, just to let you know um, just how God is using your support and your prayers. Uh, we, uh, somebody asked me to, uh, to add up how many people we thought we'd seen saved in the last 17 years uh, that we've been on the field, and that number is over 50,000 uh, that we've seen come to know Christ during that time. Um, this year in our Vacation Bible School, uh, we had, uh, last year in our Vacation Bible School, we had 3,300 kids. Big number. We go out into neighborhoods, we can't bring all those kids in, um, but we had a stretch goal this last year of 4,000. We thought, what's a really good goal to pray for? We had 3,300 the year before, let's, let's pray for 4,000. God blessed us with 7,000 kids this year. <laughs> Our Sunday school director came to me about halfway through the week. She said, we're out of money, Pastor. We're out of funds. We're out of the budget. And so we just gave some more money, and, and, and God just really allowed us to see something incredible. You know, um, God continues to work in the Philippines. Sometimes I think this year is going to be kind of a plateau year. Uh, you know, it's this, this year can't be as good as last year. But every year just about that we've been missionaries, God just seems to do more and more and more. So I want to ask you to pray for a few things. Uh, we've got a mission trip coming up in about 10 days. We're taking 17 students from Baptist Bible College. We've got 37 people that are going. We pray there will be a life-changing uh, trip for those Bible College students. And then our youth camp is coming up April 14 uh, to 17. We'll have anywhere from 800 to 1,000 young people at that camp. And we ask you to pray for that. And why is that important? Why, why do we ask you to pray for people? Because there are people that we need to reach with the gospel. I, uh, I, you know, we want to keep doing more. I talked to Brent Longenecker uh, just a, la a week and a half ago. We feel like in the next 18 months, we can plant 8 to 10 new churches uh, in that time frame. God just keeps opening up door after door after door. And one of the places that we're going is a place called Cavite. And from Brent and Amanda's church, they have a young man named Edrif. Uh, who is going to be a part of that new church plant that we're doing. Got the terrible news last week that Edrif was on an outing with his office, and they were doing some, some hiking, and he was in a river, and he was swept away, that, swept away by that river, and he passed away last week. That's awful news to hear. But you know what? I'm so glad that about 10 years ago we planted a church in his area, and he came to that church. Edrif received Christ as his personal Savior, and he's in heaven today. That's what your missions giving is doing around the world. It's making a difference in people's lives. We can share a lot of numbers, but it's really about just reaching one and reaching one and reaching one. Hallmark, thank you for your heart for missions, and thank you for being such a big part of our ministry over the years. God bless you guys. As he was talking, I was reminded a few years back, we met up. He, he was, again, missionary in the Philippines. We met up when we were in Kenya. Uh, with a group of, uh, from his church in the Philippines, a group of my church, I think, I, I can't remember if it was from here or Kansas, and uh, we met in Nairobi at an Ethiopian restaurant eating with Filipino people, so uh, it was just interesting. I'm blessed to get to, to see what God is doing all over the world. And Hallmark is um, a church that has been involved in missions all over the world. And, and I would just say real quickly, this is not the point of the, of the message this morning, but the, if you're not involved in giving to missions, then you're missing out. You're missing out on a blessing. You're missing out on, uh, when he gets up and tells those stories, I think God allowed me to have a, a small part in that. 
that little bit of money that I gave towards mission allowed somebody to go and share the gospel and hear about Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for this church. Are you thankful for this church? I'm, I'm thankful for the men that went before me who preached the word in this, this church, who faithfully taught us the word of God. And I pray, and our goal as a church is to continue to be that church, to continue to tell people about the gospel. I want you to open up your Bibles to Exodus, all right? So in Exodus um, chapter number 25, and we're going to continue our series entitled The Promise. Um, and as I look at that, how many of you guys knew that there's a big, massive clock on that back screen? Did you guys know that? Everybody turn around and look at that big clock. Okay, that's haunting me right now. I had in my mind this morning that I needed to probably be wrapping this up about 11.15. And you guys just saw what time that was, all right? So we're, we're going to do our best. No, it, I promise you it will not be 11.15. We started our series last week, and, and this first passage here in Exodus t chapter 25 is where we were last week in way of, of review. We looked at the tabernacle. In this series, the promise is going to be about bridging the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament is Jesus Christ. And so as we look at the temple, as we look at the furnishings of the temple, we're going to see that Jesus was the fulfillment of those furnishings. And so Exodus chapter 25 Verse number 1 and 2, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. And so Moses is going to take an offering to receive an offering. And what is the offering for? Verse number 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that, a, that I may dwell among them. If you don't have that, that word underlined in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline the word dwell. And that word dwell means tabernacle. That I, that I may, God is saying, build me a sanctuary, build me a place to live that I may dwell or that I may tabernacle with my people. Verse 9, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the furnishings, just so you shall make it. In other words, I'm going to tell you exactly how to make it, and I'm telling you how to make it so that I can dwell with you. And this was a pattern that we see in the Old Testament. So if you go a year uh, prior to this verse in, in Exodus 25, was the original, what we would call the Passover, when the uh, Israelites fled out of Egypt. Remember, God killed the firstborn of Egypt, and he did not kill the firstborn of Israel because he told Moses that they were to kill a lamb or a goat. They would put the blood over their doorposts and around the door of their house. When the angel saw the blood, what would the angel do? He would pass over. And so they were saved by the blood of the Lamb. And so that, that happened a year prior to this event. Fifty days after the Passover, when the, the Israelites fled and got out of Egypt, God met with Moses on Mount Sinai. Fifty days from the Passover, he revealed himself to Moses and to the people of Israel through giving of the law. So we see this. God redeemed them. At Passover, 50 days later on Mount Sinai, he revealed himself to them. And the reason he revealed himself to them is so that he could relate to them. And so the tabernacle, who he's asking them to build one year later, is so that he could relate with his people. God is holy, and because God is holy, he cannot be around those who are unholy. That's us. All the way back to the garden, when God created Adam and Eve. And he dwelt with them in the garden. And they sinned. And fellowship was broken between them and God. 
So God has this pattern we see here in the New Testament. Jesus came to the, to the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. He redeemed us. We're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Can I get an amen? Fifty days later at Pentecost, He revealed Himself through the Holy Spirit. And He revealed Himself to the Holy Spirit. Why? So that we could have a relationship with Him. God redeems, He reveals, and then He relates to His people. And in the tabernacle, we see, and this, this was amazing, we think about this. Uh, so we, we read verse, uh, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word's with God, the Word was God. And we're quite defined what the Word is until you get to verse 14 here on the screen. It says, and the Word became flesh, and say that Word with me, and what? Dwelt. You can do better than that. And the Word became flesh and dwelt, or tabernacled, among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the body of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, dwelt the presence and the holiness of God. And only on one day of the year could one man from one family, from one tribe, enter into the Holy of Holies. And here we see that God wanted to dwell with his people. And now he sends Jesus on the scene, and he is going to what? Dwell, tabernacle among his people. And the holiness of God that was in a place, the tabernacle, the holy of holies, now the holiness of God is in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. But it gets better than that. Because Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty of my sin debt, not only did the presence of God and the holiness of God go from the tabernacle to a person, Jesus, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know? So Paul is talking to believers here. So this morning for us, how can we apply this to us personally? If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, we heard the two testimonies of Mark and Joy this morning. There was a moment in their life when they said, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I'm placing my faith and my hope of salvation, my faith in eternity, my forgiveness of sins. It's not on me. I can't be good enough. I can't go to church enough. It is Jesus Christ and his shed blood. He is the only one that can save me. If, if you have done that this morning, then this verse is speaking to you and about you. Do you not know that you, you as a believer, are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Isn't that amazing? So we go from one time a year, one man, from one family, from one tribe, could enter into the presence of God on behalf of the people. To Jesus coming and the, the holiness of God in a person. Listen to this statement. It's going to be on the screen, and, and you probably ought to get a pen and write it down. God went from being among his people in a place to beside his people in a person to in his people, the temple. From among Old Testament tabernacle to beside New Testament Jesus to in us. You are the temple of God. The power of God is in you. Christ in you. Now, 
We're going to show a picture here. We showed this picture last week. It's kind of a diagram of the tabernacle. And we're going to spend the next few weeks walking through this. We mentioned last week, you can see there that, that purple line there, which represents the gate. And we talked about John 14, verse 6. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He talks about he's the gate, and only if you go through the gate can you enter into the sheepfold where Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the way. And so the gate there represents Jesus. And, and all throughout this tabernacle, what God was trying to make his people understand is he wants to dwell with them, but there's a right way and a wrong way to enter into his presence. And we have to come to God on his terms, not our terms. And, and it's spelled out really clearly in the Old Testament here. So the first furnishing that you're going to come across as you walk through this. And so there's three sections there. You see at the top, the outer courtyard, the holy place, the holy of holies, the altar of burnt offerings. And that's, that's where we should be today if we're going to walk just from one to the next to the next to the next, okay? But we're skipping that. And the reason we're skipping that is because we're going to preach on that or teach on that March 25th on Palm Sunday. All right, so make plans on being here Palm Sunday, March 25th, and then also make a note, March the 30th, which is Good Friday, we're going to have a special Good Friday service, a memorial service of Christ, and then of course April 1st, Easter. And all this is introduction to where we're at today, all right? So Exodus chapter 30, T turn a few pages over, Exodus chapter number 30. If you take time to read those, between those chapters that we just skipped, Exodus 25 to Exodus 30, you're going to see a lot of the furnishings that we're going to be walking through the next few weeks. All right, so Exodus chapter number 30, verse 17. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall make a layer of bronze, uh, a laver of bronze, excuse me, with, with its base also of bronze. For washing, you shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. All right, so you just looked at that diagram. That's exactly where it's placed, between uh, the altar and between the tabernacle of meeting. Uh, verse 19, for Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it when they go into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord. They shall wash with water lest they die. It's an important thing. So they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die. And it shall be a statue forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. All right, so. Number one on your outline, if you got your bulletin, get it out, get your pen ready, take some notes. What is the, we're, we're talking about the bronze laver that we just mentioned. And this is the only furnishing in the tabernacle that doesn't give us the, the exact dimensions. Don't really know how the size of it. In fact, if you were to Google images, bronze laver, you're going to find a lot of different representations of what that could be. Because there is no exact dimensions given or really exact descriptions given in scripture but the bronze laver symbolically cleansed the priest for service and so only the priest would would wash their hands and feet if we just read about that in the bronze laver only the priest would do that it wasn't for us common folk it wasn't for us people right now what was the bronze laver made out of how did they get the bronze obviously i'm hoping you understand it was made out of bronze that's why it's called the bronze laver all right uh and and so when we think about this bronze laver what was it made out now, I'm going to show you a picture of it because here's a, um, really the two different types of labor you're going to see. All right, so here you're going to see one that has this, this tub on top for them to wash their hands. Then also it has a basin at the bottom. And what do you suppose that's for them to wash? Their feet, as we've just read it, all right? So some of them you're going to see are going to be more like on a pedestal. No, there's not going to be a bottom basin there. 
for them to wash their feet. I guess their assumption is they're going to just, you know, raise their feet up and wash like that. I don't know. But the scripture doesn't really give us a clear description. Other than that, practically, in my mind, this makes more sense. If they're going to wash their feet and their hands, it just, you know, makes more sense to have a basin there for their feet. And in Exodus 38, verse 8, it says, He made the laver of bronze and its brass, and it, excuse me, its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. In other words, when, remember when the, the Israelites fled out of Egypt and they plundered Egypt without a battle and the Egyptians gave them all their jewelry and all their things? This is one of the things they would have given them was their, their bronze mirrors, right? How many of you have some type of mirror in your bathroom, ladies? Can I get an amen, right? And so they didn't have glass. They had polished brass to reveal to them. So when you get this picture, this image of the, the priest, they're going to wash their hands in the water. Now remember, where have they just come from? The altar of burnt offerings. The sacrifice. They just sprinkled the blood on the four corners. So does it make sense why they would wash before they would go into church, Right? But as they would wash, there's this picture. Where, where did the water come from? The priests would go out to a spring. They would get what we would also know as living water, spring water. They would fill it. And it was a continual filling because as you wash blood off, you're going to make the water what? Dirty, right? Bloody. And so they would continue, a continual, unending stream of living water. That cleanses you. Who does that make you think of? What did Jesus say? I'm the living water. He who drinks of me will never thirst again. But there's also another imagery when we think about as they would get in there, this, this bronze that was polished, that was mirror-like image, and it would reflect what needed to be washed. Now, I have this, this mirror here. How many, how many of you ladies have one, a mirror like this in your house or in your bathroom? Anybody have one of those? I'm not going to ask if any of you guys do, because I would judge you if you did. How many of you ever looked in one of these? Guys, have you ever looked in one of these? Like, this, this one has a light on it. Did you guys see that? I don't want to blind you, but it has a light on it. And um, this one, this side, so this side, I, I mean, I look pretty good right here. My hair is in place. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Joy, can I get an amen? All right. I got one. It's the only one that matters. But man, look over here. You know, everything looks kind of good, as best as I can make it look. This side's a magnifying mirror. Have you, guys, have you ever, I'm not asking if you have one, have you ever looked in one of those mirrors that magnifies? Can anyone tell me why in God's green earth I would want to look in that thing? <laughs> How many of you have a magnifying mirror? Not just to read by, okay? I'm not talking about that. I look in here. Okay, so if I flip here, eyebrows, what's the word? They're on fleek, right? Is that right? Did I say it right? Okay. If I look on this side, oh my gosh. Like, wiry everywhere. You guys know what I'm talking about? So what is the image that we're trying to see in this bronze labor? Look at, to James chapter 1. Turn to James chapter 1. 
So we said this was symbolically to cleanse. I'm going to turn this up just in case it's blinding anyone. To cleanse the priest for service. James chapter 1, verse 22. I can't think about nothing but my eyebrows now. Verse 22, James 1. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing the natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away immediately and forgets what kind of man he was. You get the picture there? So this bronze labor is a picture of really the word of God. And when we look into the word of God, what should we see reflected? Maybe a better way to ask that question. Who should we see reflected? Jesus. We are creating the image of God and we are growing in Christ to become more like Christ. When people see me, they should see Christ. And, and so it goes on, verse 24. For be doers himself, excuse me, for he observes himself, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. He forgets about the eyebrows going everywhere. Verse 25. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty. And continues in it. Let's pause there for a moment. Continues in it implies something, doesn't it? It means there's been a change. It means there's some action. Like when I look into the scripture and I don't see the reflection of Jesus. Because I'm prideful. And I'm jealous. And I'm hateful. And I'm whatever you're dealing with. And if I'm not drawn to action, to change, to become more like Christ, then I'm like the man who looks in the mirror and doesn't do anything about it. But this says he's continuing. So he's began the action. He's working on it. He's becoming and striving to be more like Christ. And it goes on. And he does not forget. But he's a doer of the word. And this one will be blessed in what he does. Now, I think many of us are guilty of looking into the Word, seeing the reflection that's not Christ, and doing what? Walking away. Could I, could I say this morning that I would take that even a step farther? One of the reasons I believe that the church today, the church collectively, is weak and powerless, because we're not even approaching His Word. So there's, there's some action implied here that we're going to go look in the Word. We're going to read the Word. And I'm convinced that in our culture, we are so busy doing everything else but reading the Word. So how can I look into the Word and not see Jesus? I mean, then there's going to be an action that I've got to make some changes, and I've got to draw closer to God. But, but I'm convinced that that's not the issue. That the issue is that we're not even taking the time to look in the Word. We're like me. I don't like what I see. I'm not going back and looking. I don't want any part of that. 
Turn back a few pages, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Excuse me, Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is powerful and sharper, excuse me, God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and the spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. In other words, as I get into God's word, God's word is going to reflect to me the areas which I need work. And can we all be honest enough this morning to say, we all need work. I need work. You need work. I need the cleansing of the word so that I can become more like Christ. So let's, let's just assume this morning that God is going to reveal something to me as I've read the word. Maybe even already this morning, God has revealed to you. Okay, he's stepping all over your toes right now. You didn't read the Bible. You didn't pick the Bible up since last Sunday when you put it down wherever you left it. So, so what am I going to do about it? When, when we come to the Word and we look in and the image is blurry, this, this doesn't look like Christ. This is not Christ of the Bible. What should we do? 1 John 1, 9 says confess. If we confess, what will he do? Forgive. Let, let me ask that again. If we confess, what will he do? Forgive. We confess, he forgives. On your, on your uh, bulletin this morning, you have this word, the altar. And the altar represents the word there you want to fill in is justification. Justification. In other words, what we skipped to get around to the labor this morning is really the most important part. It is the altar. Okay, so when we, when we think of the altar, it's the sacrifice for sins. In other words, I can't get to the labor until I first come to the altar. The justification is a, a good way to remember what that means. Justification is just as if I've never sinned. It's a, it's a legal term declaring you not guilty. And the only way I can be declared not guilty is that I must first come to the altar. I must first come to Jesus. This morning for you, the, the, those that gave their testimony on the video, they, there was a decision they made that they were going to give their life to Jesus Christ. And the only way they can give their life to Jesus Christ is to confess their sins and come through and to the altar. You see, the Bible is very clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's separation between me and God because I'm a sinner. The wages of my sin is death. In other words, eternal separation from God, my creator. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The priest first was at the altar, justified, declared not guilty. Then he would go to the laver. The laver, he would cleanse himself. The word here, the laver in your outline, sanctification. Right? This is the process of becoming more like Christ. Justification is a one-time thing. When I give my life to Jesus Christ, he's declared me not guilty. I do not have to pay for my sins ever. They're all under the blood. They've all been forgiven. And I would say to that, amen, right? Aren't you, aren't you just as Billy Graham mentioned in that video watch, aren't you thankful for the cross? 
and I come to the cross. The cross represents the altar and the sacrifice of my sins. And I can be declared not guilty because of Jesus Christ. And what he wants me to do, once I've been justified, he wants me to daily get into his word, wash myself clean. Repentance. Sanctification. There's a definition here on the screen. Sanctification differs from justification in several ways. Justification is a one-time work of God resulting in declaration of not guilty before him because of the work of Christ on the cross. Sanctification is a process beginning with justification and continuing throughout life. As I look into the word, I confess, God, I need you. Number two, John chapter 13, and we're not going to take time to read this this morning, but uh, Dave, uh, Pastor Dave, he, he freaked Ish out a couple weeks ago. How many of you were here a couple weeks ago when, when Ish was sitting right down here in Jimmy's spot? He stole your spot, Jimmy. I saw him. And uh, how many of you were here that week? And Dave walked down with that uh, basin, the laver, right, and went to wash Israel's feet. And how many of you wish you could have seen Israel's, Ish's feet? Ish, you doing all right back there? You good? I really don't have time to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyways. Uh, the backstory on that was so great because, you know, I had challenged you to move in a different seat. Ish tells his, his wife, hey, I want to sit down in the second row. And she's like, no, people might come down and, you know, get you part of it. He's like, it's not a comedy routine. No one's going to come off the platform and try to get me involved in the service. So he told me after church, I got to tell her she was right. <laughs> I think she might have texted Dave and asked him. I'm not sure. But in John chapter 13, you know the story. It's Passover night. They're celebrating the Passover. The disciples go into the upper room. They've already been cleansed in the baptismal waters in order to partake of the Passover. And what does Jesus do? Gets down on his hands and knees. As he would have grabbed that bowl, their mind would have seen what? The labor. He would wash their feet. And just as the priest was symbolically cleansed for service, now Jesus is transitioning. His ministry is over. He's about to head to the cross. And his ministry now is being transferred to who? The disciples. So he symbolically cleanses them and washes their feet so they can serve. When I look at God's word and I see my imperfections, of which I have many, and I get to the word and I confess and God forgives and I confess and God forgives and I confess and God forgives, it's, it's him cleansing me. Why? So I can serve. This morning, two quick questions. Two quick questions on the bottom of your outline. Very simple. Have you been justified? Have you been declared not guilty? How do you become justified? You confess your sins to Jesus. You place your faith in Jesus. You come to the cross, as Billy Graham challenged you, in the name of Jesus. 
Joyce told in her testimony that she was at Brownwood, 1995, I think is what she said. At the exact same place, the heart of Texas Baptist encampment, Brownwood, Texas, in 1991, I was 17 years old. I had grown up in church my whole life, but I had never been justified. I had never been declared not guilty. At about two o'clock in the morning, I woke up my youth pastor, Steve. He said, I want to be justified. And this morning, if you're in here and you've never been declared not guilty, why not today? In a moment, we're going to stand. I'm going to be standing right down here. And if you want to know how to give your life to Jesus Christ, There'll be, there'll be plenty of us up here. We'll be at the front. We'll be facing you. Just come and talk to one of us. We would love to show you exactly what Steve showed me at 1 o'clock in the morning or so at, at Brownwood, Texas. The second question on your bulletin this morning is, are you being sanctified? And, and I would maybe add to that question one word, and that word is Daily. Jesus said we're to daily take our, our cross and follow him. God wants you to be involved in what he's doing. God wants you to be involved in service here. And it was so amazing this week to watch all of you serve people from all over the country well. And every week we have people who volunteer and serve and they, they, you know, they change lives in the nursery, if you know what I mean, right? They serve us well. But we need more people who will be willing to serve. We need more people who will be willing to, to stand out on the street and hold a sign, Welcome to Hallmark Baptist Church. You realize there's people that drive by this street every day who don't know Jesus, who've never even heard the name of Jesus. And we need to reach out to them. And here's the honest truth. If you're not daily in His Word, letting His Word cleanse you, You're not being sanctified to serve. He can't use you. I want to be a vessel of honor that God can use. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray? This morning as we pray, uh, your eyes are closed. Just for a moment, I want to ask real quickly, would anyone in here this morning say, John? I've never been justified. I've never, like you've described, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, would you just put your hand up for a moment? Just, just put your hand up. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. Chances are I don't know who you are. Just put your hand up this morning. Anyone like that? I, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. What I want you to do in a moment, when we, when we start singing in a moment, we're going to be here facing you. And I, want, I just want to encourage you to walk forward this morning. Shake someone's hands and say, I want to give my life to Christ. How many would say this morning, John, the reality in my life is that I need to look into the mirror of God's word more often than I am right now. Would you just put your hand up this morning? Just put your hand up. There's a lot of us. And I'm going to ask you in a moment when we begin to sing to just either kneel where you're at, sit where you're at, spend some time with God, or come forward and pray. If you'd like one of us to pray with you, we'd be glad to pray with you this morning.
This song we're about to sing is one of my favorite songs. And yet, every time I sing it, it's like a punch in my gut. Because it reminds me of how much God loved me to send his son to die on a cross because I'm a sinner. So as we sing this song, maybe God is just going to speak to you and you need to just come forward and thank God for the love of Christ. It's a time to worship and through song, through prayer, if you want to come forward, if you want to kneel where you're at. If you want to know how to give your life to Christ, I'll be right here. God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for salvation. I thank you for the cross and I thank you, Lord, that, that when we come to the cross, we can have forgiveness of sins. God, I pray if there's somebody in this room this morning that you would challenge them to come forward and seek you. Lord, if they've never given their life to Christ, that, that today would be the day of their salvation. God, speak to us. Allow us just to worship you in the next few minutes. Lord, it is in your name we pray.